G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. As the Jesus movement spread through the West, it began to flourish and began to prosper. But now that we've eradicated the Judeo-Christian values out of the West, we find ourselves in political and economic turmoil. But know who the real enemy is. The enemy are the gods who have returned because the Jesus movement has now been relegated to the fringes. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. My name is Bill and we're in the final stages of this epic series, Under the Influence. It's been an intense one at times, but Pastor Jeff hopes it's opened your eyes to the influence of evil over society and culture. Today we start the final message. As usual, it's in two parts. A message Pastor Jeff has titled, The Greatest Story Ever Told. Let's begin now as he explains more. John chapter 8. As you turn to John chapter 8, let me remind you of a few things, okay? Because when we did this series, there were two things in my mind when we started this series, okay? The first was this, do I really want to do this? Because if I do this series, some of the people that I really want to reach for Christ, if they hear some of these things out of context, or if they don't listen to all four messages, I may never see them again. And that, of course, is going to break my heart. Because you've heard me say, we're all sinners, man, right? Everybody in the room needs something. They have some kind of coping mechanism that they're going to, to make it through the wounds of their lives other than God. And so I I didn't want to somehow give them the idea that we were better than someone else. Okay, the second thing that I struggled with was that I've got a whole generation of young people who are looking to me to teach them what the Bible says about the crucial issues of our day. So if I don't teach on those things, if I don't take at least some time to show you what the scriptures tell you and to explain what Paul means in Ephesians 6, then you're going to grow up thinking all of these things that are happening in culture right now are acceptable and right. So I've got a dilemma. One of the things you know that I say is I just refuse to become overly political because I don't believe that's the way you change the world. You change the world not by trying to legislate something. You change the world when Christ followers inside the church start living a life that is consistent with the way we say we believe. That's, that's the primary tool. All right, so you got those two things. Now, here's the other thing. I try to start every weekend by saying, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But what did Jesus say is the the second is is likened to it, which is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. So I didn't want to do the series to incite hatred for people who aren't like you or who don't struggle with the same sins that you struggle with. I've gone overboard to try to show you that we've all got sin in our lives. We've all got something we're struggling with, but 
We all have to do a 180 and say, this is the way I'm living, but this is the way Christ wants me to live. So if I'm going to follow him, this is the direction I got to go. Now there's, now there's one more thing added to all that. Until you come to the conclusion, no matter who you are, that when God gives his law or his precepts, he is motivated out of love and design. That means that God knows best how you function because he made you. He knows how creation is to function and relate to him because he is the author of everything made. <clears throat> so until you come to the conclusion that because he is the designer of all things, therefore he knows how it best works. Until you come to the conclusion that when he gives you a precept, he gives it because he loves you in the way a father would tell his son not to play in the middle of the road. Here's your precept, Delaney. Don't play in the middle of the road. You'll get hit by a car. God says, here's your precept because I love you. Don't do this, do this, don't do that. Thank God we're not saved by works, right? Because we violate all of them. Thank God we're saved by grace through faith. But he gives us these precepts because he knows if we live within these parameters, we will have the best chance at a great life, a great culture, a great society. Now there's the evil one that comes in and says, I'm gonna try to destroy everything that God determines as good. Or he tries to counterfeit everything that God gives you to fill the gaping holes in our lives, okay? To help us deal with those wounds. So somehow, as we close this series, if you can keep those things in mind at all times, it'll be great. And you'll walk out saying, Pastor Jeff is not half as bad as I thought he was when he started this series, all right? Now, let's take that, put it to the side. Let me set the stage here. July 4th, 1973. Many of you were not even alive. <laughs> it's the city championship Little League baseball game in Elizabethton, Tennessee. <laughs> My team, I play for the Norwell Plumbers. <laughs> and we're playing against the Tri-State Containers for the Elizabethton City Championship. I, you can't make this stuff up. The mayor's there. My I mean, it's a small town. My mom's there in her lawn chair. I think this was before Walmart. So if, if, if Walmart was around, that's where she got it. And everybody's got the lawn chairs out, moms and dads. And you got tri-state containers on this side and Norwell plumbers on that side. And my coach, Laverne Banners, I'm the pitcher. My brother's the catcher. It's Little League Baseball, though. Remember, in, in, do you use the pitching machine now for the age of seven, eight, and nine? Actually, I'm, I, I said Little League, but this is more like Pee Wee. So in Pee Wee Baseball here, when you're six, seven, eight years old, do you use the pitching machine now? You still, you, you have a live pitcher? Okay, good. Because when I was growing up, you had an eight-year-old trying to throw three strikes, but you got eight balls before you walked. Eight balls, because there's no way. You know. So you're just, my coach would say, rock and fire, Jeffrey, rock and fire. What do you mean? Just haul back and just throw it as hard as you can. Now, seven innings of scoreless baseball. You only play seven in peewee baseball. In the top of the seventh, my younger brother hit a homer. We're up one to nothing. All I got to do is strike three batters out. We are the Elizabeth and City champions. We will be known forever <laughs> in Elizabethan. <laughs> Two batters, strike them out. Third batter comes up, but it was Mike Little. And everybody knows. Everybody knows it, man. Mike Little's a home run hitter. And coach just started screaming. And my mom, go, Jeffrey, go. You know, little Jeffrey, go. Two strikes. My brother, the catcher. This is Pee Wee Baseball now. Puts his hand up and he goes, Now that's the only thing we can throw is a fastball. 
but you're, you're, you're trying to hide it. But everybody knows what's coming. You don't throw curveballs and things at that age. So he goes. <laughs> so I run back and fire and throw as hard as I can. And Mike Little pelts it. You can hear the sound off the aluminum bat. It goes to the right field fence. Hits the top of the railing. Thank God comes back in. There's a problem though. In Pee Wee Baseball, outfitters aren't used to seeing the ball. <laughs> They've heard the possibility that one day a ball may come to the outfield, but they're busy collecting four-leaf clovers and looking at the birds. And he, I don't think he would have known it was, and by the way, you put your worst player, I'm sorry to tell you that, but if your coach puts you in right field, that's because you stink. <laughs> and the right fielder, the right fielder wouldn't even know a ball is there except he heard some clink on the fence and it caught his attention. <laughs> He walked over to it like he had all day to deal with it. And he picks it up. Now, at this point, Mike Little's rounding the bases. He's just surprised as everybody else. And he rounds second. By this time, he knows I'm going to get to the home plate before I get thrown out. I go to home plate, which is why my brother still holds this against me to this day. I said, I know you're the cancer. Move out of the way. I'm taking over. And so I get there, throw me the ball. And of course the fielder, he doesn't know what to do. So he's just doing this like this because this never happened before. And he just throws it up in the air. The second baseman gets it. But by the time Mike Little rounds third and he's coming home, he knows he's going to make it. But remember, he's only seven. <laughs> and he gets a little excited and caught up in the drama. And he forgets that you still have to go and touch home plate. So he rounds third and goes into the dugout to celebrate with his friends. <laughs> now, I didn't see it. But evidently, my mother did. And so she did what any of you moms would do. She ran onto the field. And she got the baseball. And she put it in my glove. And she says, Jeffrey, he didn't touch home plate. Go and tag him out in the dugout. And because I am a good boy, and I do what my mom tells me to do, I ran over in the dugout and I tagged Mike Little. And... Till this day, I don't know why, but the umpire yelled out above all the pandemonium, you're out. <laughs> the coach for Tri-State Containers started yelling at the umpire. You thought that happened just recently. This has been going on for generations. <laughs> my coach came over, Laverne Banner, and hit their coach hit my coach in the nose. And then suddenly, you got pandemonium everywhere, and the mayor, thank God he was at the game because he, there's a reason he was mayor. In those days, he actually, you actually get elected to become mayor, and he got elected, and he came out to the field, separated everybody, and he decided to give both teams first place trophies <laughs> and send us all home to celebrate 4th of July. That's a smart politician, isn't it? Now, why would I tell you that? Because I don't usually tell stories like that. Why would I tell you that? Because I, wanted, I want you to think about something. My mother may have not have done the right thing. You had to know her. But... She wanted so desperately for her kids to succeed. Right, moms? Sometimes you'll do things you're not proud of. <laughs> and now I've got grandchildren. And I'm, I can't believe that I thought that when you had children and they grew up that you would stop worrying about your children. I, nobody told me that you're going to worry till the day they die. And then the grandchildren come along and you love them more than you love your children. Now, you can't explain it. But you do, don't you? Yeah, you, you can't explain. You don't want to tell your kids that. Of course, I just let it out of the bag. There's just something different. And now you're really bad because now you're thinking, man, I got to help protect them. I've got... Every time I sit down next to Ada and I look into her eyes, I, I just want to go with her every step of the way through her life. 
and the instructor, you know, don't put that in your mouth. Don't eat that dirt. You know, don't drink that. Don't hang out with him. And then as they get older, same thing. Don't, don't smoke that. Don't eat that. Don't take that. But you can't, can you? You got to release them and you got to let them go live. Now, you think about it. If it's true, if it's true that the greater the knowledge and complexity of an entity, the greater the ability of that complex thing or ability to love. If we feel that way with our children and grandchildren, how does God feel about us? Do you think God wishes he could just go with us every step of the way and say, don't, don't do that. Don't smoke that. Don't eat that. Don't do that. See, until you come to the conclusion that God gives you precepts because he loves you and wants you to have the best life possible as the creator designer, you will never submit your life to the word of God. You will always think you know better. Now, why would I start that way? Well, if you can compartmentalize just for a moment, on July 2nd, 1776, Congress voted a complete separation from Great Britain. Two days later, the Declaration of Independence was signed by John Hancock, the President of Congress, and by Charles Thompson, the Secretary of Congress. Four days later, on July 8th, members of the Congress read it out loud on the steps of Independence Hall, after which the Liberty Bell was rung, and the inscription around the bell read this, proclaim liberty throughout the land and to all the inhabitants thereof. That's Leviticus 25.10. Even though there is all this deconstructionism, and most of our kids don't know this because I don't know when we stopped teaching it, but we did. There is zero doubt that this country was founded not simply on the idea of God, but upon Judeo-Christian principles and values. I've got 40 quotes that I shared last night, but I had to cut some of that to get to what I really want to talk about today. But can we just share with you what Patrick Henry said? Patrick Henry said, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, so not just by religious people, but by Christians, not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the things I wanted to show you in this series is I made a comment that I told you in the first sermon that might offend some people. And that, that comment was this, that America has something in common with Israel that no other nation on planet earth has. It's very beginning. It's very beginnings. Israel was founded on the Mosaic Code, the Mosaic Law, the Ten Commandments. Christianity is founded from its inception at the very beginning on Judeo-Christian values found in the scriptures. I'm not saying that everybody was a loyal Christ follower. I'm simply saying we were governed on the basis that God is sovereign and human life is sacred because it's been created. Now, John Winthrop, the founding days in the founding days of America, the Puritan leader, gave a charge to America based on Moses' charge to Israel when he said, and I quote, but if our hearts shall turn away, so that we will not obey, but shall be seduced and worship and serve other gods, our pleasure and profits. Notice how he names the gods. What are the gods? Pleasure and profits. And serve them, we shall surely perish. Winthrop's words became prophetic because think about where we are now. And I don't want to go too much into this because we've done it already. You can't have the Bible or prayer or talk about God or Jesus in the public arena, but you can fly a pride flag. We've come a long way and it's in the wrong direction. But you should never, listen, but don't be angry toward individuals. The point of this series is not to make you mad at people. It's to help you understand where all this is coming from. 
And we went through Ephesians 6 where we talked about, Paul said our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, powers, and world forces. And remember I shared with you how when I was younger, why does Paul use these three words? That just irritated me. I couldn't find the separation. Until finally, through Greek word studies, archos is the word rulers, which means architect. So the demonic forces are well organized. They're strategic. They're not haphazard. They have the architect of evil. Then they have what is called the exousius, the powers, which are the generals that employ what has been, or execute, exousius, what is executed by those who have determined legislation. And then they need world forces, cosmocrator is the original word. They need world forces, human entities to work through to achieve their goals. We've discovered three gods that primarily work with the ancient gods all the way back to the time of Mesopotamia. They have re-entered culture because the other thing we learned is as the Jesus movement came, all of these gods and goddesses were relocated to the fringes of the West so that the West began to what? Prosper. It prospered because it was beginning to be built on the precepts of the Judeo-Christian belief worldview. And of course, when you love your neighbor as yourself, of, of course, when you pray for your enemies, when you pray for those who persecute you, when you turn the other cheek, when you're honest and you have integrity and you treat others the way you would want them to, of course, society's going to be better. Of course, culture is going to work when there's honesty and integrity and character, right? So as the, as the Jesus movement spread through the West, it began to flourish, it began to prosper. But now that we've eradicated the Judeo-Christian values out of the West, we find ourselves in political and economic turmoil. But know who the real enemy is. The enemy are the gods who have returned because the Jesus movement has now been relegated to the fringes. And when it's relegated to the fringes, the demonic forces return. Now, the question is, listen now, a shorter sermon if you behave. Okay? Which God are you serving? Baal, Ishtar, Molech. Baal is the God in the ancient world that turns the hearts of men away from the creator and we start worshiping created things. Money, power, affluence. We go to those things as coping mechanisms to fill the void in our hearts. And then Ishtar comes in. Baal ushers in Ishtar. Because when you get bored with affluence and you realize it doesn't work, man starts to worship each other. And so they start to cross the sexual boundaries. And so now, remember the goddess Ishtar, her motivation is to convert or turn a man's desire for a woman from a woman to a man. And a woman's desire for a man, a woman to a woman. Why would she want to do that? The gods of the ancient world want to, to destroy everything that God values. If you want to hurt somebody, hurt the thing they love most. The thing God loves most is you and me. If you can destroy culture, if you can destroy the family, you'll destroy society and ultimately mankind altogether. And then after Ishtar enters the scene, it paves the way for Molech. Molech is the god of child sacrifice. When the people of the ancient world participated in sexual immorality with the high priest and priestesses in the temples as a form of worship, the natural result was children. And they were unwanted, so they were sacrificed on the altar, burned in the fire of Molech. And so now here we are today. All those things have happened in our culture through abortion, through sexual immorality, and through all of us pursuing something above and beyond 
a relationship with God. But here's the problem, and this is, this is what I've been trying to say. What, remember I said a couple of months ago, you know what? I'm at the point now, here's what COVID taught me. We need to preach the gospel, and whoever's offended is offended. And if you stay, you stay. If you go, you go. Because, because if, you, if you really love somebody, you'll tell them the truth, but you'll also give them grace. You with me? You'll tell them the truth, but you'll also give them grace because you've got sin in your life as well. Okay, so understand that. But why is it that we all point the finger at people who are struggling with Ishtar when Baal is dominating us? So you're so quick to tell somebody who's struggling with same-sex attraction or adultery or pornography, you guys are really bad over there. We got we to gotta get you out of here. But wait a minute. You're following Baal. How so? All right. Honesty. Every time I talk about giving and do a giving series, the attendance decreases week after week. Do you know why? You don't want to be told that you should be living your life for something greater than yourself. And somehow you think that the fact that you're not generous, that you're all about building your kingdom and not God's, that somehow you're better than the people who are struggling with same-sex attraction. And I want to tell you something, you're not. All the gods have gotten us. Me, you, to some degree, they have moved in. They've been relegated to the fringes. They've moved back in the mainstay. And now as a result, do you realize we are all going to be tempted by the gods? And if you don't watch your back, and if you're not committed to Christ, and if you're not pursuing Christ, and you're not in community and accountability and relationship, the current of the world is so strong that it can pull you away. Do you understand that? Now let me... Let me shift gears again. This is the last message. Here's what I want you to see as we pull all this together. In one of my first conversations of helping a person far from God come near to God, it was one of my first ones. I met with a gentleman for over seven years. And in that seven years, we talked almost every Wednesday, about every Wednesday as we had lunch together. And I really wanted to help somebody that I considered far from God come near. But over the years, I began to hear his story and it opened my eyes to the paths that we travel in life. His parents left him They took him to town when he was six years old and just left him and deserted him. He was picked up and taken to an orphanage where he was sexually abused. He goes through life thinking that he doesn't matter, but he's the kind of personality that becomes incredibly driven. He says, I'm going to prove to the world and everybody that I matter and I'm somebody. And he excelled. But through the course of our conversation, he shared with me, even though I was excelling, there was this gaping hole and I couldn't feel it. And every time I felt lost, It seems like somebody provided something to kind of get me over the hump. Drugs, alcohol, a relationship. But those, instead of giving me life, I notice now after the fact that they were further taking me into the pit of destruction. And it's almost like every time I I got to a point where I was ready to look towards something else, that he'll tell you now, the evil one offered something that would take me further and further away from God. Because I didn't know much about God then. And then he said, I had a friend invited me to church then. And I went and I listened and it's like the, somebody told the preacher all about my life. Yeah. And I was really upset. And this has happened all in New Zealand, Australia. And he said, I came back again. And then finally I realized that my entire life, all, these, all the things that I'd done were coping mechanisms to deal with this overwhelming sense of lack of significance and love and all of that. But when I found Jesus, he said, Jeff, I can't explain it to you. When I found Jesus, I went up, I got baptized, and it's like the burden was lifted off me. Now, why do I say that? I say that because you and I have no idea the road that people have traveled to get where they are. 
But in John 8, I was going to read the passage, but you know the passage. It's where the woman is caught in adultery, and these men bring her because she's been caught in the act. How do you catch somebody in the act of adultery? You set her up. You just didn't happen to be there. So they set her up. They bring her to Jesus. They want him to condemn her. And then Jesus says, and in the original language, this is how it were. It's worded, he or she, and I'm assuming that there's no she's there, but perhaps there were, he or she who is without not just sin, but this sin, be the first one to cast the stone. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. If you say that your transgression is so bad that God can't forgive, do you know what you're saying? You're saying that the blood of Jesus is not powerful enough. It doesn't really matter where you've been or what you've done. You're one decision away from total forgiveness and restoration. That's the point. That's the point of John 8. That's the point of Jesus' ministry. He doesn't seem to be interested to go in where you've been, just in where He wants to take you. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.